0: Today Let Me Be Frank, we have a special guest. His Excellency is speaking with Marie Oates. She is the Executive Director of the St. John Paul II Center for Communications here in the Diocese of Bridgeport, which is just launching. Bishop Caggiano is launching this center uh, in order to evangelize through media and communication. And since it's launched at the diocesan level, this center will be able to preach the truth and also to invite people at a local level back to their parishes and a life of faith. Veritas, while we don't belong to the diocese, we are ready to help the new communication center in any way we can. So this is gonna be a fun and fantastic conversation. Keep your radio here at 1350 AM and 103.9 FM, or keep listening using the Veritas app on your phone. The app is available at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or veritascatholic.com. If you're listening to Let Me Be Frank on podcast, Help us out by going to your podcast platform and give us a five-star rating. Help us reach more souls. Of course, Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing, lifelong faith formation and discipleship and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable, from seminarians to retired priests from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad, the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure as always to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, how are you, my friend? What's up, Excellency? Um, I have a new computer, could you imagine? Yeah. My other one died. Yeah.
1: Rest in peace.
0: Oh. <laughs> it just literally died. <laughs> oh my gosh. I hope you had it, everything uh, backed up and saved. Oh yeah.
1: We have all this technology. It's in the cloud somewhere floating between Saturn and Jupiter, <laughs> wherever it is.
0: <laughs> but anyway, we have a great guest today. Great guest. I So I love when we have guests. I get to sit back and listen and learn and... Um, You've got a, a really cool initiative that you're uh, that you've launched here in the diocese that I think our listeners would be really happy to learn about. And um, it seems like you have the the perfect person for the job. So let me go ahead and introduce Marie Oates. Marie is the new executive director for the St. John Paul II Center for Communications here in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Previously, Marie has served as the Global Head of Communications for uh, Scale Facilitation, which is a private equity fund, and she's headed up communications for Euromoney, IESC Business School, and she brings over 20 years of experience in senior director-level roles in communications, media relations, and creative production. Marie has been published in the New York Times, the Boston Globe, Chicago Tribune, Education Week, as well as having written two books, uh, one is "The Women of Opus Day in Their Own Words," and Marie has written a novel titled "Aaron's Song." So, Marie, it is such a pleasure to have you here on Let Me Be Frank.
2: Oh, I'm really honored. I mean, thank you so much. This is a really lovely welcome.
1: Marie, we are very blessed to have you to lead this initiative, um, which we'll talk about in a second. But I, I always ask my guests when they come to the extent that they're comfortable, is to tell us your faith, because of course you had an illustrious career up to this point and will continue, but tell us your faith's journey. Like what's what's Marie like um, when it comes to her own faith and discipleship, what would you like to share?
2: So what would I like to share? I know I've, I've listened to, uh, let me be frank, I love the podcast. Um, it's helped me get to know you better, because of course in this job, I see myself primarily serving uh, the Bishop, who's the principal voice of the Holy Spirit for the Diocese of Bridgeport. So this is an extraordinary uh, role. I I feel honored and blessed to have this job after having all these secular things. This is kind of nice um, later in my career to do this because if I'm a devout Catholic, I'm my son, Stephen. I went to mass, I go to mass every day um, and so I, I I've put everything on the altar. I, I've given this interview to Jesus and I know he's gonna, he's gonna take it in good direction. So I feel really good. My faith journey is, uh, I'm from a large, you know, it's kind of stereotypical in some ways, a uh, large Irish Catholic family from Massachusetts and one of nine. Um, my parents both went to daily mass. Um, as a high school student, I was sort of wild. I guess I'm going back in time here, but I do, look, I think of this often because it's sort of where things took off for me. Um, Yeah, I was kind of wild. I was just a mixed bag. I think a lot of kids are like that. And um, and then I ended up working part-time, you know, when I was 15 at a conference center run by Opus Dei, which is, uh, you know, a, a Catholic, a personal project of the Catholic church, global institution. And I really didn't know what it was. I was a kid who lived in the town nearby and I just started working there. And um, And I really admired the people working there. and They had a lot of joy and they worked really hard. And as a kid, my parents were like that too. My dad was a lawyer. My mother ran a, a, a nursery school from our home. They were very hardworking happy Catholics with a ton of kids, you know, and, um, and so I was struck by that. And then at one point I was invited to a retreat as a high school kid and at, at, at this place called Arnold Thomas conference center. So I went and, you know, and I thought I was Catholic because I would go to Sunday mass, but I also had like all other life going on. I don't, in retrospect, really wasn't very Catholic. And I knew that I had this sort of double life. So I'm on this retreat and there were probably like twenty other high school kids, and um, and they all knew their stuff, you know. And I realized, like, whoa, I really don't know the lingo. They're like praying the rosary. I have no idea how to play pray the rosary. Um, they, they're going to confession. I really should go to confession, but I've not been since like first grade. And then that was massive for me. So I'm watching them queue up, go into confession, just like, whoa, I want to go, and I really don't want. And so I kind of avoided going, uh, but it was a huge, like, you know, crisis inside me because I had some things I really should confess. And probably I shouldn't, in retrospect, I shouldn't even be receiving communion when I was going to mass on Sundays with my family. So at the end of the retreat, I thought, oh, great. I, I didn't go to confession. You know, I was sort of like, <laughs> I got out of it. and Everybody else went. I don't even know how to go to confession, too. I was sort of like illiterate. And so it was all these things. And then the director of the retreat came to me and she said, Gosh, the line was so long. I noticed you never were able to get in. I've asked the priest to stay. I'm horrified. <laughs> Absolutely horrified. But at the same time, I had I didn't want to seem like I was a loser and couldn't do this. Like it was all about like the impression I was gonna make. And so I went in and honestly my voice was shaking, my palms were sweaty, it was confessional. I thought the priest was so cool. He'd been like a Harvard quarterback. I was a jock. I was just like, oh my god, I, I don't want to tell this man things. I I've never really even been. I mean, I went in first grade, and I think I lied my first confession. So I had all these things, you know. I'm gonna I'm gonna I should say to him. So I basically my voice is cracking, and I said, Father, I really have no idea how to do this. I you know I've I, I've really never been. I, I'm. And this is like horrifying for me. I just was simple, I just laid it bare. And so, from the outside of the screen, he says, "This is great. This is great. They're popping champagne bottles in heaven." And I was like, "Oh my god, that's beautiful." Because drunkenness is like really high on my list. <laughs> I'm so happy that he said this. And then he said, "Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm gonna list. I'm gonna read a list of questions." And you just say yes or no. And I was also like thrilled with this because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just like you haven't studied for your test and this is what you want. You want the the multiple choice, you know, or the yes and no question. So honestly, that confession changed my life. You know, I would like to say that I walked out of there and I was a little flower. I'm actually named after the little flower. But that's not true, right? I walked out of there and it probably took me 10 or 20 more confessions to really say everything because there was even at that young age there were some really significant things i had offended god with in my life that caused me deep distress um, but this was a wonderful um this priest just was so lovely and then i went back to him i was really lucky i could go back to him repeatedly and i finally got most of the stuff out i'm sure there were things i you know god's merciful Amen. it's not like Amen. You know, I realized that after I was not looking for a grocery list or a punch list, um, but that just changed my life. You know, I started to go to daily mass. Um, I just looked at my life differently, and I led my life differently. I had a deep sense of purpose, and I, I mean, I wasn't, as I said, perfect. I continued to have struggles and those things I described because it takes years to overcome big, big. some of these habits, the peer pressure, Um yeah, but that's kind of, that was the story I thought I would share with you, because sometimes I staff retreats um, for people, and I've learned to open with that story. Um And it just frees people to go to confession. I've seen that that is like a gateway for them to go to confession, to, that it's not so scary, and it's God's mercy. It's a sacrament. It's for you. It's not about... You know, the priest coming down on you or whatever. I mean it's not supposed to be. And certainly I've been able to find priests who are they just want to exercise God's mercy. Right, you know. Right. So anyway, I, I just share that story. I, I that's what a, a good story for me. I feel immensely blessed. What a
1: great story that is. It really is. And and it shows how transformative a single experience can be in someone's life. Right. It could just change the entire trajectory of your life. And I think a lot of our listeners probably are residents shaking their head like I was saying, Yep, got it. Yep, Uh, yep, I understand that. I understand that. What what got you involved with communications? Like, what, and your professionally, how did you land in the profession? Anything in particular at the beginning resonated or?
2: Um, I guess I, while well, I was at, Bo- I went to Boston College, Jesuit educated, love them, and four of my siblings also. My dad was called a Triple Eagle, so I'm, I'm I, I love the, the Jesuits. I'm grateful for my uh, college education. Um, I guess while I was in college, I realized I really loved to write. I, would lose, I took this course called Fiction for Profit. Doesn't sound really lofty, right? It's like, I also have to take Shakespeare and all these other things. I was an English major. But I I realized I would, I didn't realize what it was at the time, but I would achieve flow, right? That whole thing of like losing yourself when I had to write fiction. I would just, I just enjoyed it immensely. And so I realized, oh, I have to do something um, professionally that involves writing and communication because I just find such joy in it. It somehow works for me.
1: And you've had a tremendous career in communication. So we're going to talk about the JP2 Center in a bit but I'm gonna ask you to take like the 100,000 foot level. Um, certainly lots has changed since you began your career in this whole world of communication. So how how do you assess the state of things right now in that world? Taking into consideration print, social media, the digital continent, are we in a good place? Do are we in a bad place? Are we in a place where it could be both good or bad? What, what's your assessment, generally speaking? Yeah.
2: I mean, I think um, I think we're always in a good place. I feel like we're always blessed. We're in we have moving forward. There's progress. Um, I, I love AI. I love all the technology as it emerges. I try to I try to learn it uh, as I go. I, I think some of the challenges are. The short attention span that people have. Uh, TikTok, for example, is a massively influential medium right now. You know, social media. Uh, so many people are, especially young people, are highly influenced by what's on TikTok. And so some people don't want to go on TikTok because there's all sorts of uh, security risks involved with that, or so they say. Um, that said, I think you have to be there because. Everybody's there. So it's one of those things where you have to sort of figure out, well, how do we, how do we, how do we figure that out where we can be present and not compromise our corporate security or our contacts or privacy, whatever. Um, So those challenges, I think the challenges of um, the fragmentation that exists. Also, it's certainly not the world I started out in where I like to write opinion pieces, and I was blessed. I would get some in the Times, New York Times, Boston Globe, whatever. I still get like a high if I do something like that. I go strike for someone; it gives me a little like you know, ah, endorphin hit. Um, but now it's just so different. Um, it's different. You know, you, there's um, it's just a, it's a, just a different place. Uh, but it's a, it's different doesn't mean worse. Different just means we're moving forward, and we need to adapt. Right. And we need to figure out how to communicate with today's people, and especially young people. And they think differently. They have a different, um, mm-hmm. I have a, a classical education. I have my metaphysics. You know, I, I, have, I, I know the essence and form of things. I, I think in that framework, that Aristotle, Plato, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas, young people do not. And so you can't take things for granted. You have, to, you have to be communicating fundamental things all the time, which I think is um, really beautiful about this center that you are establishing, yeah. the St. Jumbo Center, because I think that's one of the things we have to factor in, is that we need to evangelize this new generation with these new mediums and these new tools. We have to recognize what the opportunities and limitations are with that, and right. um, so it's going to be a different kind of evangelization.
1: Without a doubt. And, and so I've been reflecting since we've begun to work together, we, this, this initiative is now we're giving birth to it, is that um, it's both, in my mind, Now correct me because you're the expert here. So when we talk about communication, we talk about means and content, right? So there's the ways to communicate and what you're communicating, right? And what I find, which is very different than when I was much younger, is that the content, the referent point in the content, more specifically, how does one know if the content in front of me is actually true or not? And if, complicating this even further, if the in the society there's no objective search for truth, but it's just what I, it's like about me deciding what's true, then it, it's it, how do you how how does communication not just become tribalism, right? How does it not just become we g- gather together because we agree this is it, and then we're going to go out and we're going to slay the rest of the world until they come out to retake we take no prisoners? It, is that a fair characterization of where we're kind of at when it comes to at least the content of communication?
2: Yes, I, I think you're absolutely right. and But I don't think it's really different from previous times. You know, I often go back to the times of the early Christians mm-hmm. reading a book, not opinion that takes me there again. Um, and it's just very helpful as a devout Catholic who really would like to evangelize and attract more people to the mercy of God and the unconditional love of God to realize how the early Christians were like, oh, my gosh, they were immersed in these things mm-hmm. and you know around in the Colosseum, martyred you know spread out and yet they kept having a consistent way of life and message and gave witness in a particular way and i think we have to i think it's very important to always look back to them draw a lot of hope from them because within three years they go from a ragtag group following this crucified guy to being more than 50 percent of know western civilization that's extraordinary so they 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 have lessons that they can continue god, to teach us right even in this highly technological world right and i think part of it is it's what you're focusing on with the center and with the, the initiative of the one it's truth beauty goodness this is this is god god is transcendentals right that god is there and right. the more you're communicating that especially um Showing the action of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ in the world, that's attractive. Amen. It's a waste of it out there for these kids. I don't know if you've read, I can't think of the man's, his name is Truman, the psychological man, the rise of the psychological no, man. No,
1: no. He
2: kind of looks at, I'm going to send you a link to this afterwards, but he just looks at modernity and precisely this whole thing of how deconstructionalism is. Now it's like, you, you can be whatever you want. I'm going to be a dog today. I'm going to be, you know, and we're gone from people identifying themselves. This all comes down to Christian identity, right? Identifying themselves as I'm, you know, I'm a father, I'm a mother. I'm going to, you know, it's John Paul II, the gift of self. I'm going to give myself. This will be my mission in life. The gift of self helps me understand who I truly am. Okay. To now we have a culture where it's like I have to determine myself, I, I have to decide what I am. I, you know, and it brings me back to what we talked to earlier is like, I have a wonderful education in metaphysics, and okay. I'm grounded in these things that I take for granted, and this is just not out there. Right. And so the challenge is, how do we, I don't know if we return to that educational system or there's a new way.
1: The Holy okay. Spirit's going
2: to find a new path for us. Okay. You know, and that's why the center's so exciting, because it's clear that's what the Holy Spirit has jailed through you, Bishop Frank, in this initiative. You're, you're on it.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And I think maybe we'll, after the break, we could go right on to JP too. But I have two other observations if I may, because um, your, uh, your assessment about the lessons to be learned from the past, I think is very intriguing to me. So I, 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 maybe you and I can have some conversation because it's, it's it's very hopeful, right? It is very hopeful. But there's two, I, I would like to, I'm just going to lay out two scenarios here for your consideration. Your um, when it comes to, because the church, you know, we all know, who's listening. the church is the church. The church has always been an institution that's both divine and human, that kind of, I'm going to use this terminology, lumbers its way through eternity, through these centuries. It's designed so that it is not going to make some really radical change all at once. It's not going, it, it, it it's, it's preserves, right, the deposit of faith and it resists change because they want to make sure the deposit of faith is protected, right? So that's just the natural nature of the church. Okay, so why do I say all that? Because two things. Number one, let's go back to Trent. When Trent issued its decrees, it took, most historians would say, it took a hundred years for the church to actually implement those decrees. Now, something's issued from Rome, and two milliseconds later, it's in the hands of possibly 300 million people. Now, why is that different? Why is that significant in my mind? So, uh, because in the hundred years, there was correction going on. There were messages going back. You know what? This may not mm, work. And okay. So let's kind of move it this way. So that by the time it was everywhere, it actually kind of had settled to where it did work. Because there was time now it's all done in real time even the correction even the adjustment even the commentary it's all done and it gives this sense of perhaps confusion perhaps of like what's going on here now is that a fair assessment do you think or is that no? you have another take on that
2: i think that's a fair assessment. no no i i think it's a fair assessment and um, I love Pope Francis. He's brought in an era of, you know, motu proprios and mm-hmm. I don't remember how to, pronounce it, but sort of what I would say is, um not in an offensive way, but an equivalent to sort of an executive order, you know, from our president. He does it at a kind of papal level, and there's been a lot of those under his um, papacy. I think more than mm-hmm. previous papacies, mm-hmm. um, and so that's he's also very spontaneous um i was telling someone recently i would find it very difficult to be his handler or his communication person because it's he's just so spontaneous and says things off the cuff with no problem whatsoever he's tweeting he's doing all sorts of things i love him he's the pope god wants for us right now
1: we need Absolutely. him
2: oh, Absolutely. i think he's awesome <laughs> He's, he's, you know, just like all of us, he's a sinner, he's a whatever, but he's special, he's the vicar of Christ, he's the principal instrument right. of the Holy Spirit during these times. Yeah. Um, so, that said, based on what you're saying, um, yeah, it's hard for people to manage that. And you see some old faithful, I'll use that as the characterization, um, struggling with some of his actions, and then what, you know, his pronouncements, or his off-the-cuff thing, or his latest whatever um but honestly we have to adapt these are our times That's- so i still go back to the early christians but we're not going to be we're not going to be you know writing on parchment right. we're going to be tweeting
1: oh we're digital my, my writing
2: tablet what <laughs> i love my writing tablet <laughs> i think i mean i just think people have to get used to this yeah. and yeah uh, right and yeah. i think the leadership also has to register like How's this helping the
1: people when I yeah. Yeah. It's kind of new. right
2: the other the other scenario like this
1: so the other scenario may I just present it and then after the break we could talk about it and that is um, when it comes to the sins of the members of the church
2: <laughs>
1: everything's in real time everything's in real time <laughs> so there was a time yeah. when sin was always personal but not public as much as it is now. So even for example, and where does it have an effect, right? The church has done yeomid's work in in contrition and in reform when it comes to abuse, abuse of any kind. But human nature, the way it is, we could pray for the day, it will never happen again, but it, it may in fact, in isolated places, occur. And please God, that will eventually disappear. But until that happens, every time an incident occurs, it raises the whole issue again, because in an earlier age, they may not have been known by the whole universe. So there's another dynamic here that can at times prevent long-term healing. It's almost like taking a Band-Aid off all the time. Is that fair, you think?
2: I Yeah, I think it's fair. I mean, the bigger picture for me is, I, I had to go through the safe environment training yep. to take this job. Um, I'd never done that before. I was so impressed by it. And why don't why does every public school have that? I mean, I think in all of these difficulties, even as they're real time or whatever, um, the church is responding responsibly. If a little bit late to the party, doing the right thing, implementing the right yeah, thing. I agree. Keeping people understanding what human nature is, which is prone to fall. We right. need confession regularly because we're sinners. If you lose sight of that, wow. Right. I mean, that's very right. problematic. Right. So
1: so part of what we'll talk about after the break is JP two. And my hope would be one of the things we'll accomplish is helping people to navigate back to the larger narrative so that the incidents don't become the narrative because there is a larger narrative going on in the life of mm-hmm. the church. Great. Excellent.
0: Okay. So we're going to take a quick break. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency has been speaking with Marie Oates, who is the Executive Director of the St. John Paul II Center for Communications. It's going to be an important means for evangelization here in the diocese, and we will be right back.
3: The number is 203-742-1450, and select option 5, or visit www.ctcemeteries.org.
0: Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, His Excellency Bishop Caggiano is speaking with Marie Oates, the Executive Director of the St. John Paul II Center for Communications. Excellency... Yeah, well, Marie,
1: we've been teasing our listeners about this center and this center. So so tell us, what is this center?
2: You know, it's becoming even as we speak on this (laughs) podcast. So I have a strategic uh, planning committee from my advisory board, and we're creating a plan that you asked for. And we're, you know, we're in the midst of making this thing a reality. So Mm -hmm. basically, what we've done is we've so far done an assessment of the channels of communication that exists. Wonderful, um, Fairfield Catholic County, the, the newspaper. Um, we're looking at the website, the social media, but then we're, you know, we're stepping back from the channels and we're sort of like, okay, now where are we going to push through those channels? And can we can we have additional channels? Right. And what do we need? To, how can we make those channels more robust and more um, evangelical in the in this Catholic sense? Um, that we're informative and formative. That's our mandate. Yep.
1: Yeah, in a sense, for the delivery piece, the way we communicate, I think we are, we are. please God, going to be innovative to bring all the means together in one roof, and you are basically going to be the director of all the means, like everyone will answer to you, which is a first for us in a way, right? Because we've been kind of like, siloed Maybe too strong a word, but we've kind of been doing kind of like our own thing, different people. Sometimes there was synergy, like there's a big event. Everybody was like all hands on deck, but it wasn't in the regular recapturing of the larger narrative. We weren't all working in the same direction. So the means are all, which is new. And then the actual content is what the strategic plan is talking about, right? Like how, what is it we're going to communicate? Like what is it vis-a-vis the one or anything else for that matter? Is that fair? Kind of looking at it that way.
2: I definitely think, that prayer, how you describe that and so one of the things you asked me to do which i'm working on is create a very comprehensive editorial calendar so that's a little bit separate from the strategic plan but it gives me this sort of big global picture of the different moving parts within the diocesan operations of the catholic center and beyond and i think that one of the major ideas will be again to to um to amplify your voice because you are the good shepherd and the sort of the leading force that God's given to given us in the diocese. So, part of this, I think, uh, uh, it's going to be letting you channel a little bit more or a lot more.
1: You know, so no it, pun intended. No, not at all. No, not at all. You said something <laughs> profound before. You said that the bishop, right, is in in a sense yeah. uh, the uh, the voice of the Holy Spirit. Right in the in the midst, he's yes. one of so yes. so. Consider the Holy Spirit has a Brooklyn accent. Think about that now yes. for all eternity. What a great yes. insight! That's a book worth yeah, writing.
2: I think, <laughs> uh, I think awesome. Even coming from Boston, I this. Yeah.
1: Uh, all right. So now let's get back to serious stuff. Right? So, can you give us a peek of some ideas in this strategic plan? Is is any like any ideas you want to share with us? What do you think?
2: Well, I. <laughs> Um, It really is becoming as a, we're definitely, I think in general, I think we're going to do more video content. So it's wonderful that we have a a relationship we've established with the, um, Sacred Heart University folks. They have incredible state of the art studio Mm -hmm. equipment Mm -hmm. that is just outstanding. And so we're hoping to use those facilities more frequently. Um, we're still thinking about what that looks like and, um, you know, we're really just trying to get the house in order and yeah, gather course. the whole flock oh, of together. Course. Of course. And then we can, make our, we can make our Thanksgiving meal and figure out what the what yeah. the um, content mm-hmm. will be. I think we will do, we probably will have more of you, um, Bishop Frank, simply because um, you really are the spiritual leader and you represent the magisterium, the teaching force for us, the diocese. So, you know, in a sense, we can't get enough of you and the Pope, um, quite frankly. Now, that's not to say... We're gonna plaster everything with both of you but i mean that's where that's where the forward force okay. will be okay. coming from okay. so okay. um i think that everything will be oriented that way right now also the diocese has incredibly inspiring stories to tell yeah, yeah. and we will i to share those stories okay. because as we said we need to be um you know as saint augustine wrote i think move to light and instruct we need to be telling engaging stories and a narrative of our diocese of the faithful to help other people um, realize that beauty and and want to be an active part of it and be attracted to the
3: Eucharist. You
2: know, the ultimate goal of this is to help people get to Jesus in the Eucharist, which is at the center of the Catholic Church and all the sacraments. And that's the source and summit of everything. And it's like the best-kept Secret or the worst kept secret. No, I mean it's one of these things where you just wish where people could have this. It's, it's right. so extraordinary. Right. Um. But that's at, That's at the core of what we're going to be aiming for, and helping people realize. I mean, we, you, and I have talked about this. How do we differentiate what we're going to do? And and I've explained it to the the strategic planning committee too. As we try to think this through, at least the first year. We don't want to replicate some of the really big success stories. I mean, we want to learn from them, right? But you know, Bishop Barrett has incredible stuff available. Father Mike spits Spitz, whatever the Bible in a hundred days or whatever, I loved it. I, I did it during COVID. Um, they have wonderful materials. Hallow, you know, Word on Fire, um, some other things. Those are wonderful supports. But at the diocesan level, what we need to do is help people go to mass, really help people come to Jesus Christ, Um, go to the pews, do this in memory of me. I mean, Jesus wants us around that altar. He wants us there. There's nothing that replicates that. No, I did online masses during COVID. Some people that are, you know, they have circumstances, they need to do that. But really the best is to be around the altar with Jesus. When that priest in the person of Christ is elevating that host, that chalice, that is it. That is the height of Christian prayer. And the goal is to somehow use all these means of communication to engage people, to come back to that. That's that's where our happiness and the transformation of the culture is gonna occur. And the faithful are back in that gate.
1: Well, that's very well said. It's And that's the reason why the one exists, right? Is to lead people to Eucharistic participation and worship. Um, you know, We're
2: the service we want. that's also informing our strategic
1: yeah, vision. Yeah. So I'm going to lay out a proposition, and um, because you mentioned Bishop Barron and and Father Spitzer and Father Schmidt and all these other individuals doing tremendous work. Okay. So this is how I see it. Now, because I could be wrong, but they are doing outreach through this medium and many different media to invite people to engage in their faith, and it is making a big difference in the lives of many people, thanks be to God. But they are unable, by the very virtue of the structure and content, to invite them also to engage in a community, right? Exactly what you're saying, because that's another level. There's there's another need to do that, right? So you could, it's almost like Billy Graham. If you remember Billy Graham and The Still Evangelist, he would engage people, get them on fire, and then you have to go to your church. You have to go to wherever you belong to worship. So in a sense, the way you describe it, it's just kind of clicking in my head that the communication center on the diasyn level is going to be our own outreach to engage people because we know our people, right? Please God, we should know our people, right? They, all this other work is going to help us to do that too. So we're all going to be growing, but we're going to be the bridge to the communities, right? So that it's not right. just a personal search, but it's an ecclesial search that you have somewhere where if someone knows your name, someone is caring about your life, someone leads you hand to hand in times of struggle, that becomes the people that you gather together in the Eucharist. Is that schema, what do you think of that schema?
2: I think that's a great schema. And I think, you know, I'm praying every day to John Paul II. I pray every day at mass about this now. This is the mission that has been entrusted to us by you. And so this is what is before us. And it's, uh, you know, you want me to describe what it's going to be. And honestly, in some ways it's a mystery to me because um, I'm really Dutch. I love it. (laughs) What I know (laughs) is you're doing great things. You're doing great (laughs) things at the diocese that i'm very impressed by the committee that you have involved with the center is outstanding and so i just know it's going to come together because i i see that that the holy spirit is very active in the diocese of bridgeport so this is this is the new energy and this is going to work and part of it will be telling stories part of it will be reminding people of you know, basic formational things that we all need to mm-hmm. be reminded mm-hmm. of. Who you are as a Christian,
3: mm-hmm. your Catholic mm-hmm. identity, mm-hmm. what
2: is Catholic identity? Yeah. You know, so that, that's yeah. got to be a piece of it right. too. But it will be the goal of leading people to to worship the Eucharist, these small groups, you know, encounter and accompaniment, right. as you describe in the one.
1: And also, I think, um, offering as many possibilities as we can for retreats, just like you had in that experience when you were much younger. And again, you yeah. illustrated the power of story because when you told that story about, at the very beginning of our podcast about the experience of confession, not only does that re- resonate in a very human way, but it teaches the power of confession in a different way than if I gave a homily on it or I taught a class on it, right? And I think yeah. it is, as important as the bishop and the Pope and all the rest, and rightfully so, but I also find like in... Um, stealing a, a page from, let's say, uh, um, sobriety programs like uh, the 12-step program, when people stand up and tell their stories, it is like phenomenally powerful, right? It is phenomenally yeah. powerful. And unfortunately yeah. in the church, and I'll, then I'm, I'll stop, but in the church, most of the talking informal liturgical events are done by the clergy, most especially the priests. And God's people don't always have a forum to share their stories of faith. And I'm hoping JP two, mm-hmm. the center will create that, right? Yeah.
2: Yep. Yeah, it definitely. We need more testimonials. I I love the stories that are coming out of um the Institute of Formation, Dr. Dunvin's organization. Yes, the part of your one newsletter. He's organized that with these inspirational stories from the faithful. Those are so helpful. I look forward to them. Yeah, I'm loving them. I have to think. I think we have to give wow. them more life. We have to think about finding people that maybe are like me, who they don't have a problem telling that story, their personal story, coming out, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, coming out, you know, with this these conversion transformational moments. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to look at um, key touch points in the lives of individuals. And also be there for them. Like right now, the I'm very impressed with the the cemetery, the office of the I can't think of the formal name of it, but the the Catholic, Catholic cemeteries group. Okay, they have incredible outreach. Uh, you know, Carol and Killian and Dean and all those people. They they're doing incredible outreach to people at the moment of death, providing with all sorts of resources, spiritual helps. Whatever, a real apostolate, a real accompaniment. That's that to me, it's extraordinary, it, and it's at a major touch point in a person's life when they are thinking existentially. They yeah. are, they are thinking, "Oh my gosh, I'm mortal," and it's just the right moment to go in with, "Like God is here for you, and we're here for you. Absolutely, we're going to help you through this. Absolutely, we're going to walk with you for this." I think baptism is another when pe- parents often, even if they're not practicing, will bring their kids because they just know it's like a vestige of when their parents, you know, did it. And and it's a wonderful touch point. And you think, right, how can we how can we connect with them in a way that they'll? it's receptive, that they're. it's not as, as existential marriage, another I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here huge you know many times now couples might not be f- focusing so much on the, the you know the spiritual side of it or they might be thinking on the ceremony and where your grandma are going to sit what table we're going to put that awkward cousin at and you know all these things oh, and so, will it be so, shrimp so you will know my be family
1: you know my family that's good keep going <laughs> we have a yeah. lot of votes <laughs> and yet
2: what a great it's a touch point it's like all right how do we how do we get in there like how do we how do we connect with them even though death is much more profound I mean, my, my mother's first anniversary she died at 92 last year on, on yesterday on um, february 22nd and as i said from a big family it was a great moment to think of uh, the the just the good that she did with her life as a practicing catholic as a mother of nine kids my dad died at 53 she didn't raise these kids Wow, you know, it was crazy and um and if you look back, she's a, kind of a challenging personality, just full disclosure. Um, she probably needed to be to survive with those circumstances. But you look at her life. I mean, I did her eulogy, and I'm like, this was an extraordinary life.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: This is a person who had thousands of lives, did tremendous good. Mm-hmm. And it was driven by her faith. She believed God loved her, and that God was going to take care of her, and that her marriage and being a mother was a vocation. Mm-hmm. And this was... How she responded to life. This was her Catholic identity and her vision of life. And nothing, you know, overt. She never really said that. She just sort of lived it. Was she perfect? No. Did she offend a lot of people? Yes.
1: Well, who's perfect in
2: the end? Right. (laughs) Right. But but you look at the sum of her life. I'm like, wow. And I bring that. I just say that because what it was. I think such a good moment for my family. You know, a number of them are not practicing. We all sat in the front row of the church and, you know, I was sort of like, oh, what's going to happen at communion? And everybody went up and the ones who, you know, did this, were fine with that. No big deal. But I just thought this is beautiful. Mm-hmm. This is a, this mm-hmm. is, this is how it's kind of, yeah. thanks for listening a Little A story there.
1: Yeah. No, I think it's, it's tremendous. It's, it's filling out the formula for the one, like the last podcast I talked about the fourth element, right? Um, mm-hmm and you call them touch points. And, and they are. And of, among those touch points, the most powerful ones are the ones where we, we are forced out of ourselves, classically in suffering. And, mm-hmm. um, but not just that, but there is a fourth category where we encounter God. So, let's just use the theory of just the terminology of suffering. So, a personal illness, illness of someone else, death, whatever it may be, or, or the other forms of suffering, a loss of a job, or a, a breakup of a friend, or a breakup, God forbid, of a marriage, or all the rest. Those are invitations to encounter Christ in a very powerful way. And in a sense, if we're talking about a mission to the world, it would seem to me that it's almost the preamble to truth, beauty, and goodness. For many people, if we're with them in that moment, right, then they realize the love of God is not theoretical. It's 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 literally someone here is standing mirroring that love for me. And then they be actually be ready to say, Well then who is this God? Like what is all this about? Well, come, it's truth. Let, let me show you the different venues. And those stories are extraordinarily powerful. Like, for example, I always wondered to myself, like what it would be like to bury someone who was very close to you. And of course I buried my aunts mm-hmm. and uncles along the way and my grandparents were buried in Italy, so I didn't attend their funerals because they were all in Italy. So that was a very weird sort of experience, right? You just got to notice that they died <laughs> and were buried. You think, well, well, what just happened here, right? But when I looked at my father right. in in Coney Island Hospital in the ante They put him in because he had died on the street and he was dead. I can't describe what that moment was like. And I'm a man of faith. It was just, do you know what I mean? Like you described before. So not that we could be at all those moments, but if there's a loving presence in those moments, I mean, that's, that's encounter. That's yeah. accompaniment, right?
2: Uh, yeah.
1: And to tell those stories. Yeah. Even just tell the stories gives people hope when they look back and say, well, you know, God was with me, maybe I didn't recognize it, but he was there with me. Yeah, it's yeah.
2: So we have to tell more of those stories, uh, definitely through the Jump Paul Center. I mean, we have to, but uh, then I, I also think it is a, you know, communications using the website as a sort of storefront. We also have to provide, um, the resources available for people to come but some of this the center you know it's it's really about people out there it's parish priests mm-hmm. parishioners mm-hmm. others recognizing yeah. and where i'm from in duxbury there's a um i don't know I think it's called the lazarus society it's holy family parish i think it's and there's this group of men who started it i don't know if they're still doing it um we didn't need them. But when there's not a lot of support, I'm, as I said, I'm from a big family. We had a big party. We had, you know, the whole thing when my mom died. Um, but they will step in, and they provide all the support. If uh-huh. there's a small family or there's just people, and it's just, it's just a lovely, lovely ministry.
0: Wow. Well, and,
2: know. again, I don't know if they're still doing it, but it was these older Catholic men, you know, in the in the parish who just realized, oh, there's a need for this. Um, what? And that, that, those are... Yeah, really lovely idea. I
1: had never heard that. I think that's a great idea. That goes on the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. That goes on my list now. <laughs> I about. I
2: think it was called like Society.
1: Yeah. Wow. Excellent. Um. So what? So what? What advice would you give? Um. The myriads of people who are now engaging in social media podcasts with the fervor that they want to, you know, we're gonna go in there as digital missionaries so we're gonna do a thing we're gonna what advice would you give them anything
2: um well certainly pray to the holy spirit um pace yourself i've done different podcasts um maybe you don't want to be a regular ongoing show maybe you're gonna just do uh you know brief segments uh you have to try to think about the the niche that you're gonna fit in like what what What's going to be special about your your communication? How how do you think you're going to help people? How are you going to reach them? 15? There's a whole like science and approach to this now. Where is there really? Uh, oh, one wow. my, yeah. One, one of my sisters is starting a website. She's you know just she likes horses, so she's doing this uh, horse owners club or something, and she's engaged a social media company to help her. And I'm just very impressed. She's doing this campaign on Instagram. And it's just it's you know, the horses are beautiful. And so it's again it's beauty. And so you you know, she's getting more people to to click and to watch and then she gives them content and dribs and drabs. So people starting this, this is a great way to do it. Is start with right. your friends, start with your family. Right. And if you know, so concentric circles building out
1: uh-huh. Uh-huh.
2: I guess that's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. But pace yourself.
1: Yeah. Tremendous. Tremendous. If I may just Steve, not to put you on the spot, but we have been talking, we've exchanged emails about the possibility of periodically doing this webcast, this web, uh, this podcast as a
0: video, right? Yes. yes. Yes, we're we're planning to move this to video
1: so can that you imagine? people
0: can watch you on YouTube. Can you imagine? You may
1: have to like, yeah, uh, yeah, okay. That's, interesting. That's a whole new dynamic, <laughs> by the way. You've seen me, it's a whole new dynamic. <laughs> That's by the right
2: really I think the more you can, and this is what we're going to do with you, Bishop Frank, just be emotionally prepared. I mean, <laughs> the more we can distribute your content and what you're doing on more channels, just the more we're going to reach people. Yes. Yeah. Everybody's, it's very fragmented. And so if it, you got to get spread that peanut butter like all over the bread. Like, whoa, we got to reach and yeah. go to all the lo- outlets that we can go to right. because, you know, it's just worth it. And it's easy to replicate. Yep. I mean, it's it's yep. not a big deal usually.
1: So it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Marie, thank you for your leadership and for taking on this. This is so importantly essential. And I'm delighted that we're going to be working together on it. So
0: thank you.
2: Well, Thank you for having confidence.
0: Yeah, this is exciting. So let's take one uh, final break, come back with a listener question, and and Marie can tell us uh, where we can find out more. So this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Be right back.
3: Hey, this is Matt Sparazza from The Tangent. Each week on The Tangent, my co-host,
0: Father Sam Kachuba, and I go on tangents to show how intertwined the Catholic faith and our culture really are. With guests like Scott Hahn, Dr. Greg Pitaro, Crystalina Everett, and so many more, The Tangent is always entertaining and informative. Check us out on Fridays at 12.30 on 103.9 FM, 13.50 AM, anytime on the Veritas app, or wherever you get your podcasts. God bless. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. All right, Excellency, here is a, uh, a question. I guess St. Blaise's Feast Day just passed, so it was on uh, a few different people actually emailed this in. Um, so here it is. It says, why have parishes stopped blessing throats on St. Blaise's Feast Day? The answer to
1: the question is I have no idea because they should be. They should be for the Feast of mm. St. Blaise. So if they didn't, it's very interesting news to me. All right. uh, it, it's one of the sacramentals that's again, speaks very powerfully. I remember as a little boy, even now as an adult, when the two candles are put by your throat and you have the blessing, there's an yes. engagement of spirit and body that's a privilege in grace. So the answer is, I don't know why they didn't, and they should have.
0: Okay. Hope we didn't get anybody in trouble. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in on social media, or you can email questions at VeritasCatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at Foundations infaith.org. Marie Oates, what an exciting thing that you are spearheading here in the diocese. Thank you very much for joining us today.
2: Thank you. It was really um, very enjoyable. Thank you both.
0: Oh, you're most welcome. Is, Thank you. Steve? Is there some someplace yet uh, that people can get more information yet, like a website, or, or is that forthcoming?
2: It's forthcoming. Okay. We don't have anything
0: yet. Okay. Well, you can reach out to uh, the diocese if you want to learn more. Excellency, before we go, would you please give us your
1: blessing? Yes, of course. So why don't we pray together this, uh, today? In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Maurice? Amen. Thank you. I'll see you soon. Steve, I'll see you next week.
2: Sounds good. Thank you, Bubba. Really an honor. Thank
1: you.